tonight. I've got a picture coming up on the screen. I'm sure everyone's house looks about like this right now. Uh, and there's this sense of peace and calm and all the presents. No one waits to the last minute to order anything like I do. And so you guys are all ready to go. Everything's wrapped. And this whole week's just going to be spent in front of the fire, drinking coffee and reading long books, right? That's probably what most, most everybody's week's going to look like. Uh, but in actuality, this is probably a little bit more what our Christmas looks like right now. So... Uh, we drove by Tractor Supply yesterday, and there were some Christmas trees out there. I'm like, my goodness, I hope no one buys that. Uh, half, the, half the needles are already off, and that's the way it rolls sometimes. But in, in reality, Christmas is a little bit hectic right now. And, uh, and that's kind of a joke and, and kind of funny at the same time. But it, with all the joy that usually is wrapped around this holiday season, for Christmas, for many of us, this holiday season can feel like stormy waters. And so I want you to have that in your mind, just on a, on a serious note here. There are a lot of storms that we experience around the holidays. And uh, when I mean storms, I mean hardships and pain and difficulties that kind of blow into our life that oftentimes we have no control over. So some of those might be a reminder at Christmas of who's not with us for different reasons. Loved ones we've lost, loved ones that are estranged a loneliness that can fall over the seasons. And we don't want to talk about it, right, because it's Christmas, but that's the reality. There can be a lot of storms coming our way. It can be the difficulty of being around certain family members we have to be around at Christmas time, but we really don't want to. It could be seasonal depression that's kicking in. It could be we're reminded, once again, how little we have in the bank account as we turn into the new year and Christmas gifts are, uh, we're trying to buy those. It could be that the, the reality that's slowing down from work can be more stressful than work itself. These are some of the storms that blow in at Christmas time for us. But then there are also currents that can pull us strongly. When I say currents, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference this throughout our time together, that we've got these storms that blow in that are outside of our control, that are hard and difficult, but then we have the currents of the world that pull us and push us. And if you've been out on the ocean or a lake, you know what a current is, that it can, you don't see it, you don't know it's there, but in a few minutes you could be drifting far, far away. And these are the currents of the world, the temptations that can often pull us, that we can get pulled by the materialism and commercialism of this day. We can be, get, get pulled by this feeling that we have that everything's got to look like that first picture I showed, that everything's got to be perfect, that everybody have to, has to have the perfect morning, the perfect food, the perfect time together, the perfect conversations. We get pulled by this sense of perfect. And, the, and then we're rolling into the new year, and there's this sense, okay, what, what new thing do I got to accomplish in my life? What new change project do I got to start and hope that don't, doesn't fail this year, right? We feel these things. We don't want to talk about it, but there's these currents that are consistently pulling us. And so what do we do with all this? And this is the beauty of actually worshiping Jesus on Christmas, that we can talk about the hard and difficult times, things at the holiday season. We don't have to act like it's all perfect. What's going to be our anchor in those strong storms? What are we going to look to to hold us in the midst of those currents that pull? Well, this Christmas season, I do want to lift up to you that a baby born 2,000 years ago in the backwoods of Israel really is the anchor that we long for and need. And so we're going to spend a couple weeks in Hebrews 4 and Isaiah 53 between this week and Christmas, and uh, we're going to talk about this week about what he came to do and how that's an anchor for us, and we're going to talk next week about his heart for you and how that's an anchor for you. But our big picture this morning you'll see on the screen of what we want the Holy Spirit to help us see from the scriptures is this. 
is that what Jesus has secured for us as our priest is an anchor in the fiercest storm and the strongest current. That what he secured for us as our priest is an anchor in the fiercest storm and the strongest current. Let's pray. Father, uh, I, this season, this time of the year is beautiful. God, I love the, the, the lights. I love the smell of the tree. I love the food and the gathering and the, so much joy as well of just being together. But at the same time, as we enter in here, we're all coming in with different stories. Um, but there is one common theme to all of our stories, that there is brokenness in it. That amidst of joy, there are hard things and there are difficult things. And every one of us will have storms that are blowing through this time of the season that we don't necessarily know what to do with. And all of us feel the pull of the currents. And so as we come to meet before you, I ask that you would do something that I have no power to do, and that's to make your word come alive that we would see something about your son Jesus and what he has accomplished for us, what he's secured for us, that we'd walk away with a greater glimpse of who he is and his love for us. It's your name we pray. Amen. So the anchors we think will hold us. This is where we're going to begin here. And uh, you'll see on the screen Hebrews 4.14. And uh, we've got this command called, let us hold fast our confession. And so in our passage here, the writer of Hebrews is calling God's people to hold fast to their hope, to their faith. And this command or something similar is five times in uh, the book of Hebrews. And it's kind of a common thing. And so why, why would the writer of Hebrews be exhorting God's people to hold fast to their hope? And I, I really believe that this image of storms and this image of currents is really relevant to the context of Hebrews. And so I want you to have that in your mind as we're going through uh, this passage and next week as well. And, and the reality is, is that at that point in time, the writer of Hebrews was writing to a group of Jewish converts, and there was strong storms and currents in their life that were pulling them from the hope they had in the gospel. And so there were cultural pressures to leave their hope of the gospel, to leave Christ and go back to their old religion. And there was persecution around that. And it was easy for them, in a sense, to drift from the hope of who Jesus is and to go back to their old religion. And that's where all the currents were pushing them. They were being pulled back and to, and to think that their old religion was a better anchor than Christ is for him. And so the book of Hebrews really is this. It's the writer of Hebrews is seeking to persuade God's people that there is no greater hope, there is no greater anchor than Jesus himself. And over and over again, the whole book exalts Christ and understands that there are temptations and currents pulling us away from Christ, but to hold fast to who he is. And he lays out argument after argument on why Jesus is the greatest hope for us. He is the true anchor for our storms. And as, as I think about where we are and who we are, you know, we may not face the same drift in the same exact way, but we do feel currents in our culture as well as we turn into the new year. As we turn into the new year, it's, it's, a, it's a reset button for us, and there are, there are, I think there's, a, there's bombardments of, of false anchors that come before us, things that are calling for us to hold fast to them, and they will give us hope in this season. You know, in the storms of life, what are some of those anchors that we look to? I think it's very easy this time of the year, whether it be Christmas or the new year, to think that, the, that if I only had a little bit more money, if I could get to a different level of income in this next year, then I'm going to be better. I'm going to be okay. That's going to be an anchor for me. It's going to give me a sense of peace and security. Very easy to, to think that. 
or if I only had a better job or I achieved this certain success in a job, then that would be the anchor for me. So as I look to this new year, more success, that would be an anchor for me. That would give me a sense of security as I look ahead. If I only had a better relationship, you can fill in the blank for. If my kids achieve this, or if we really could get to go on this vacation in this way, that this would be a sense of, that in the storms of life, if I could have that, if I could have this better relationship, if things would be smoothed out in my family, if my relationship with my spouse was better, or if I could get this boyfriend or girlfriend, that that, that would be it. That would give me a sense of peace in the storms. Or it may just be as simple as, This year was hard, and I just want to have a lot of fun in this upcoming year. That would be, in a sense, a a security for me in the midst of the storms of life. And the point is that these things are real, that all those things are most likely good gifts, but it's easy for them to, to identify them and think subconsciously, if I had that, I would have peace and security. If I had that, I would have a sense of security and stability in these choppy waters around me. And so we go after them. We run after them. But the reality is they can't hold us like we want or need. They can't be a true anchor for us. And so what I want to do, I want to go to this Hebrews 4 passage, and I want to go to this Isaiah passage, and I want to mine and discover why Jesus is the true anchor that we need and that we long for and how he is. And so let's turn and look at Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. And so what do we see here in verse 14? And I'm, gonna, I'm skipping 15 because we're going to hammer 15 next week. But 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so what did Jesus secure for us according to this passage? And it's wrapped up this theme of being a great high priest. I want to pause there. Um, this idea of a priestly office was huge in the Old Testament. And if, and if you're not too familiar with the Old Testament and what it meant, uh, it has great bearing on this passage. So I want to give you a little reminder here. So the primary role of the priest in the Old Testament was to be a mediator between God and his people. And here's why. God People needed a mediator because they had sinned against God. They rebelled against God, and they couldn't come into God's presence. And so specifically, the priest role was to intercede on behalf of the people and offer a sacrifice for the people's sins so that they could be made right with God. But by God's design, and, and if you, so I didn't grow up in church, and so the Old Testament was really unfamiliar to me when I first became a Christian. And I'd read all this stuff in the Old Testament about sacrifices and animals and goats, and it was a little bit strange, to be honest with you. And, uh, but the reality here, all these things weren't meant to be effective in and of themselves. God was wanting to teach his people. And so by God's design, this system in the Old Testament of, of a priest sacrificing an animal uh, to secure forgiveness for people it, it was inherently unable to save. And actually, a, a large chunks of the book of Hebrews argues that point very clearly, that it was all meant to point. And so we can't go to those passages. I would encourage you to go read the book of Hebrews. You'll see it very clearly there. Uh, but I want to give you a brief summary. The, the sacrifices the priests gave were never enough. They had to do it over and over and over again because the blood of an animal could never truly atone for people's sin. There was no power for it to do so. It was there to point to a greater high priest, right? And the priests were sinners too. And so because they were sinners, they would die. and They could not continue to be a mediator for God's people. And they had their own sin to atone for as well. And so again, they were all there 
to point to a greater high priest. And that's what we see here, that Jesus is our great high priest. And what does that mean for us? He secured for us access to the throne of grace. But how? By what a priest does. I want us to see two things in this passage that a priest does. The first thing there is that Jesus came to represent you before God's throne, and you will see that on the screen. Our, our passage here says that Jesus passed through the heavens. What does that mean? Well, it points to his resurrection and him sitting at the right hand of God the Father, which was a privileged position of your power. Well, why is he there? Well, one of the things he is doing is he's representing you. Let that sink in for a moment. That Jesus, the Son of God, is representing, if we are in Christ, representing you and I before the throne of God. This is what a priest does. The priest in the Old Testament would enter into the temple of God's people. He'd pass through this curtain, separating God's presence from the people. Why? To represent God's people in God's presence. And so Jesus was born into this broken world to be your representative before the King and Father. That's what it means that he's your great high priest. And to represent you, he had to be born into this world to take on your flesh and to be tempted in every way you are, to be weak in every way you are, so that he could truly represent you before our king. And he doesn't represent you because of how good you are. Let me give you a little analogy. So in our sports world, if you're a star athlete, uh, you have an agent who represents you before a team, right? And what's the role of that agent? Their, their role is to get a deal based on your worth. And so they go before the team and they talk you up and all the good things you're bringing to the table in order to secure more money for you, right, with that team. That's the way it kind of works in our world. Well, if I was to try, try to hire an agent, and many of you know I'm a Patriots fan, and I, I was to hire an agent and I'd say, hey, listen, I want you to go represent me before the Patriots. The reality is there's nothing to sell there, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, is he going to try to convince him of my elite athleticism to get on the field and, and run a route, uh, get a deep pass for Mac Jones? It's not going to happen. Whatever way I want that agent to represent me, he can't go before the Patriots and sell my worth, even as a water boy. It just isn't going to work. It doesn't sell. And what I want us to see here is the representation that Jesus has for us before our king isn't to sell our worth to him. He entered to this world knowing you're a broken rebel just like I am. And he represents you not because of your good things that you do, your performance, to try to sell God on how much you do for him. He's going before the king and father not to represent what you do, but to represent you because you need him. Because you don't have what it takes to stand before the King and the Father. That's why he's representing you and I. That's the picture here. That's why he came. It's out of love and in spite of our sin. And so what does he do as our representative? Well, the second point I want us to see here, and you'll see it on the screen as well, that Jesus came to offer a once and for all sacrifice for your sin that secured the favor of God's throne. And so again, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the priest would go before God to sacrifice an animal uh, on, behalf, on their behalf. That was kind of the main idea of sacrifices. And so what, what's going on here? And the imagery that Jesus wants us to get across is that we are entering the throne room of God. But here's the problem. You and I enter the throne room of God inherently committing cosmic treason. We've wanted to dethrone that God of his power in be our own kings of our own life. 
That's the inherent truth from the youngest to the oldest in this room. Whether how good we might look on the outside, deep down, we don't want God to be on the throne. We want to run our own life. And the scriptures are clear. The penalty of that is separation from him, death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And so this penalty must be dealt with. And as your representative, Jesus came to deal with that very penalty. So he's not going before God trying to argue on how good you and I are. He's going as your, you and I's representative on our behalf to deal with this very penalty that we have as we stand before the throne. And the prophet Isaiah gave us a beautiful prophecy that foretold the great clarity of how Jesus would do this. And so it's in, he, in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. And what I want to do is I want to break this down. And I want us to think about each phrase in this passage. There'll be a little table on your screen here. Uh, we're not going back to the classroom, but it's really critical for us to see the clarity of what it means that Jesus is our representative. And so Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. And so let's break this down. What does this say our situation is? This is our situation in verse 5 is that we, have, we rebel, not we have rebelled, we rebel against God as our king. And so if you and I were our own representatives before God, what would that mean? That we would be pierced for our rebellion. There's no defense attorney you're getting on your side that's going to get you off this one, right? But what does it mean when Jesus is our priest, that he is our representative born into this world? It means that he would be pierced for our rebellion, our rebellion. He was innocent. And then we've got this phrase here that we're going to be crushed because of our iniquities, that Jesus would be crushed. What does that phrase iniquities means? It, it, if, if you look at the definition of it in the Hebrew, it means we pervert God's gifts. What that means is God gives us great gifts all through our life, and we take those gifts and we twist them to make them be about us. We take those gifts and we dethrone the giver, and we want to make those gifts chief in our life, whether it be money or family or sex or jobs, you name it. Good gifts from God, we want to make them about us. And so if we represent ourselves before God, we would be crushed for that perverseness because we're telling the God of the universe we would rather have his gifts than him. But Jesus as a representative, what does that mean? That Jesus represents you and I, that he would then be crushed for our perverseness. We see here that we are guilty and sentenced. That's why there is a punishment for us. And if we represented ourselves, we would receive the punishment due our crimes of cosmic treason. But what does it mean that Jesus is our representative? That Jesus was punished and we gain peace and well-being because of that. So it says the punishment for our peace was on him. If you and I want peace with God, the only way that comes is through someone taking that punishment. Jesus as our priest took that punishment. And you'll see on the next slide here, it deals with the second part of that verse. It says we need to be healed. What does that mean? That our situation is that you and I are sick with sin. And if we represented ourselves, we would die of our terminal illness. But Jesus, as our representative, means he was wounded with our sickness so that we could be healed. And then what else do we see here in Isaiah 53? Our situation is that we go astray as a sheep to our own way. What stark language there that you and I just want to go our own way. God, just leave us alone. 
We just want to run our own life. I mean, that's what we wake up feeling a lot of times, no matter how much you know the Bible. That's our situation. If we represent ourselves, we would be on our own, alone and lost forever. But what does Jesus as a representative, as our priest do? He was cast off, and the punishment of being forsaken by God was placed on him. Jesus came as your representative to do these very things, not to argue for your performance, but to deal with your consequences. And I want you to notice a few things that, from this. Is that One is that Jesus is only able to represent us because he entered this world as a human and went through temptation just like us, but he didn't rebel against God. He didn't pervert God's gifts. He didn't go astray. So he's actually qualified to represent us. And that he willingly became our representative at a great cost to himself. This was his and the Father's plan. It was the only way to bring humanity back. He would lose, he would sacrifice, and we would gain. He, bo- he was born into this world for that purpose, to represent you before the throne. And that his sacrifice was once and for all. The Old Testament priests would have to sacrifice year after year because there was no inherent power in what they were doing. It was to teach people how deeply they deserved the punishment of God and how much they needed a great Savior to come. But Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. It was done. It was finished. There would be no more. He would accomplish it once and forever as our representative. And Hebrews 4 goes on to tell us what this sacrifice, this representation secured. That you and I now can come to God's throne, and it is a throne of grace for you, not of judgment. Look, at, look back at verse four, uh, 416 again. It says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. So what did you and I deserve from the throne? It would be punishment and wrath because we're rebels. But what do we actually receive because of Jesus our priest? Favor, kindness, and resources from the king who rules over the universe. That's what that image of throne of grace brings. And so it was a throne of judgment for Jesus so that it could be a throne of grace for you and I. That's the picture of what it means in priests. And so what I, I, it, we just have to reflect this Christmas. How do we see that throne? How do we see it? Do we see it as a throne of grace? Just reflecting on my life, I think there are certain ways we can see that throne that undermine what the priest has done for us. I think one way we can see it, and you'll see it up on the screen there, is that we can see it as a throne of indifference. We can often see that God is a king But although we might not be on his bad side, we think he's rather indifferent towards us. And if he's rather indifferent, why in the world do we want to go to the throne? So we can often see this throne that Jesus has secured access for us as a throne of indifference. Or we can see it as a throne of performance. Right? We can sometimes see God as a king. We can see it, but we struggle to live up to our expectations. We get more of this mindset that we've got to represent ourselves like a star athlete before the team and tout our good works before God so that maybe we could earn his favor this next year. And so this really, this throne becomes a throne of performance to us. And if we don't feel like we're, lead, we're, we're really meeting his expectations, we definitely don't want to come before that throne. But what I want us to see here 
Is it what Jesus, our priest, has done for us is far better than a throne of indifference or a throne of performance. It's a throne of grace that the unmerited joy and favor of God is there for us. And it has nothing to do with what you said or did this morning. And everything of what Jesus has done at our representative. I'm going to give you another analogy that just maybe would help bring this in perspective. So we don't live in a monarchy, and so the idea of understanding a throne and a king or a queen just doesn't make a lot of sense to us. And, uh, but, but you can think about access to the presidency, right, of the, United, the president of the United States, which is the most powerful position in the world. And what this is saying is you're not the spy that, that would be convicted of treason and face the punishment of the president and the whole wrath of the government, right? You're not a spy that's convicted of that. And you're not the janitor in the White House or the help desk who the president sees and might say hi, but those persons really have no access to the presidency. But you're also not the chief of staff who may have access to the presidency, but it's only based off their performance. And if they fail to perform at their job, they will no longer have access to the presidency. A somewhat comparable analogy would be that you're a child of the presidency. And you have full access to the White House, and it has zero to do with what, you, what you've done or your performance and everything to do with your relationship with the president. And that's the picture here of what Jesus has secured for you and I. And so when we celebrate Christmas, this is what we celebrate. Jesus entered this world to be your priest, to represent you before the throne, and to secure access to this throne by his sacrifice so that this throne becomes a throne of grace for you and I. All the resources of the king at our disposal because he loves us and delights in us. And so where do we go from here? We had two applications for you. One would be this, and you'll see this first on the screen, is that I want all of us to ask ourselves, can there be a better anchor than what Jesus has secured for you? Could there be Could we even imagine a better anchor than the throne of grace for us? We're constantly blown to and fro by the storms of life. Everyone who walked into this room today has some sort of pain, hardship, financial difficulties, tensions in relationship, jobs, challenges, addiction, and we have to ask ourselves, what will hold us truly in those storms? We are constantly being pulled by currents in our culture to look to our work, to look to our wealth, to look to the approval of others, to look to Netflix, to look to porn, to look to fill in the blank in the face of these storms to deliver us. But the reality of Jesus as our priest is the anchor we need in the midst of these storms. What he has secured is the only thing that will hold us in the winds and rains of life. And it's the only thing that will keep us from drifting away access to that throne of grace. Look back there at Hebrews 4. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Why? Why, why, why do we draw near to the throne of grace? Is it to prove our worth? No, God is saying the reason why you would draw near is because you and I are needy for mercy and grace, and we will find it there in our time of need. And so I what I think we've got to walk away is saying you and I won't find the mercy and grace you and I need from a job, from a paycheck. We won't find it from the approval of a group of people. We won't find mercy and grace that we need in health or a vacation. 
It is found only at the throne of grace that is there for us because Jesus, our representative, has gone before us. And so hold fast and draw near. Take the storms and currents to him this season. It, it's, it was humorous as I finished this up Friday. We had a series of events Friday where I was feeling minor storms of life. And what did I turn to through an anchor? But control. If I could just control all these things going on around that I don't want to go around, then I'd be okay. And what did that con- me trying to look to my own control to do as an anchor? It probably just frustrated me and a whole lot of people around me. But what Jesus has secured for us is that you and I, when those storms come, he's saying, come into my presence. Don't act like you have it together. You come because you actually need mercy and grace. And so we can process these storms in our presence. We know he has, his favor rests upon us. And we can understand more and more what Jesus has secured for us and that he gives us the full resources for his throne. So ask yourself, is there a better anchor for us this season than what Jesus has secured for us? And the second thing there would be marvel at Jesus this Christmas. I hope you enjoy the gifts. I hope you eat some really good food. I hope you're able to have some good time with your family. But don't mistake the gifts for the giver. Whatever goodness you taste in those gifts chase them back to the giver and marvel at who Jesus is and that there is no greater gift than he could have secured than to access to the throne room of God, not as a worker, but as a child in the love of that king. Let's pray. Father, I'd be the first to confess that in the storms of life, in the currents of life, it is so easy to run to what I think are more tangible anchors around me. And it's really the definition of insanity because those anchors continue to fail. They don't take root or hold, and I just drift. And here, what do we celebrate this season? But that your son entered this world And there was a lot of things that he did, but what he secured was the greatest thing as our representative, access to you now. And that this throne wouldn't be one of indifference, wouldn't be one of judgment or performance, but one of grace, your unmerited favor towards us. And so, Father, I pray that for each of us, no matter what life is like this season, that we would taste a deeper joy and a deeper richness than any gift or presence of a family member could provide. And that would be your favor. To know that Jesus entered into the brokenness of the world to represent us before you and secure your favor. Let us delight in that. Even as we sing, as we close, let this come from our heart because of who you are. And if there's anyone among us that, this, that we have been relating to you like a throne of performance or judgment all our life, would you help us discover for the first time your love and your grace in Christ? Amen.